You're here with Claudia Hertzenfelder, the International Student Affairs Commission for the SGPS, and we're going to speak to some graduate and professional students here at Queen's University about their research and how it stretches beyond Canadian borders. What are some of the opportunities and challenges this has afforded them? Let's find out. This is Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. Uh, hi, Prena. It's uh, so great to have you here with me today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia, for having me. Uh, it's it's really great to have you um, because I remember not too long ago you were the recipient of the Henry Mandelbaum uh, Award, which is an extremely, it's not an easy award to get, uh, but that's with Akufa, right? Yeah, it Am is. Am I saying it correctly? The, yeah, the Ontario um, Federation of Faculty, I think. Yeah, like Akufa, yes, yeah. Amazing. Well, congratulations on winning that award. I was uh, super proud uh, to have an international student from Queen's University win the award. Um, Well done. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I mean, uh, I was not really hopeful because a lot of international students um, get like really rare chances at awards and scholarships in Queen's University and even outside of it. So, yeah, I mean, it Mm. was it was a great surprise. And at the same time, a happy surprise that I got selected. But yeah. There's lots and lots of students, so I think you should really be super proud of yourself. Uh, you deserve it. And the work you do is so interesting. Uh, so, and, and on that note, why don't we get straight into it? Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Um, so I started off as a literature student, and then I, uh, in my master's, I turned towards uh, queer and transgender studies alongside uh, film and media and cultural studies. Like I expanded my focus during my master's and that's when um, a lot of political activism around transgender rights and queer rights uh, was also uh, gathering steam back home, back in India. And Mm -hmm. um, I felt as a researcher in, in the kind of institution I was in, I felt like uh, a lot of that uh, work which I was interested in had uh, a political relevance to the contemporary mo- moment then and even now. So that's what I sort of took uh, from my master's as a learning um, curve for me was that like a lot of my work uh, had to speak to the political moment and a lot of my interest was also post-haste. Like I... I found myself getting interested in things which were happening in the here and now. And um, and that's how I became interested in uh, representation in cinema. And uh, at the same time, the politics of space, uh, given a lot of uh, queer and transgender rights, uh, the articulation of it back, back in India was also about occupying space and, uh, uh, mm. and you know, um, kind of taking up space, which where and and at the same time, the history of uh, queerness and transness in India is also about re- colonial regulation of space. So that's how like uh, the interest of in space also sort of uh, geographies uh, came through at that time, and that's that's basically the interstices of my work is basically geography, cinema, and gender. And um, in my PhD, I'm I'm trying to look at um, certain media uh, 
example media artifacts in india where uh, transgender representation is done through the space of the toilet uh, a public toilet in india and because not only because the toilet is a highly gendered space uh, but it's also uh, very relevant to the caste and class politics uh, back uh, in in india and in in the way society is organized around these uh, factors and how could, um, could you uh, maybe yeah. for for people who are not so you're you're from india and you're doing your your research in india so for those of us that are not really aware of the caste system perhaps you can uh, explain when you say that the the, the toilet is a space uh, yeah. that's been very significant to that system could you maybe explain to us what course, that system is yeah um so uh kind of uh it's it's very uh, tough to explain it in a sentence but i'll try to be as <laughs> succinct as possible but uh also try i will make the relevance of toilet and uh, caste i think i think that's through that i can explain as to what caste really means caste is uh, it functions similarly as race but obviously it's not the same but um, it is it's kind of it's the best way to put it is how um, the father of our constitution back home in india um, br ambedkar put it that if there is a division of labor caste is a division of laborers uh, where it is there is a kind of graded hierarchy uh, where people in a society are divided according to their uh, the, the status of their birth and uh, and which is tied to their occupation so uh, the kind of work you do is what you are and uh, and you cannot come out of that kind of it's a locked hierarchy so it's a graded hierarchy when i say graded is that there is a value attached to the kind of work you do and because that labor defines who you are as a community it sort of also values you accordingly so there is some value attached to some kind of work and um, for example uh, the caste which i belong to which is the upper caste uh, is is always seen as the thinking uh, community which the, the community which has the power of knowledge and has always had access to knowledge resources while mm-hmm. uh, there is uh, there is a graded hierarchy where the communities which uh, uh, are have been historically forced to do activities like cleaning and um, uh, scavenging uh, after after dead bodies and etc you know so th- those are so, seen so as- is it, is it- is it a matter of you are born into a particular caste yes, so it's not as yes. though someone subscribes to a caste the day of your birth you are allocated that you are yeah. is based on your your parentage so depending on yes. where your parents are yeah mm-hmm. it is it is uh, it is a generational uh, familial it is it is a way of organizing family structures and also actually any relationship uh, which which you have is is sort of um kind of because caste is um also organized through not just occupation but it's also because it's also occupation it's also about property and marriage so um it is highly uh, conserved in in the indian society even even if the economic systems have changed um after colonialism is that 
it allows only for endogamous marriages so you like you can marry marry only within your caste because doing mm-hmm. going up going uh, against that is to also uh, do like it's kind of caste impurities you know like the idea of you're marrying outside of your community so you are kind of discomforting the system which is the hierarchical system of caste and also because it's tied to property it's also about conserving property rights and basically resources in the hands of the few and um, that's why caste is very it's it sort of uh, goes alongside class just like that's why i made the comparison with race is that uh, race sort of uh, divides people in uh, in ways that they d- cannot come together as one class you know and um, at the same time the ruling class solidarity if you see is is through caste consciousness back home like most people who are rich most people who have the most resources are uh, people from from the community i belong to so uh so you you have mentioned that um there is a relationship here so i understand the comparison uh, of understanding or, or drawing the the parallel, I think, with race, that people are born into situations not of their choosing and that this has material consequences based on your life chances, your life choices and how the rest of society will treat you. Uh, but significantly a moment ago, you said that uh, caste is also shaped by colonialism. Was this something that existed prior to uh, oh, colonizers yeah. arriving in India or is this something purely born of of british uh, imperialism no 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 uh, caste is actually the, the born out of a system which has long existed in the indian subcontinent so uh, when because india is a post colonial construction but the indian subcontinent which consisted of all the regions and the princely states and and um, the entire region of uh, that part which we call india and pakistan and bangladesh now um uh, co- consisted of the system which was of, of um which was the varna system varna also means i i think the rough translation is like uh, the a numbered community system like there is a hierarchy within that uh, uh, system of people divided up according to their birth birth into the communities which have certain occupations attached to them so this was always there but um and it was also about spiritual hierarchies like it was really attached to um, hindu hindu idea of organizing a society that's why uh, a lot of radical um, scholars of anti caste scholars say that hinduism cannot exist without the caste system because it sort of defines it and anyone who mm-hmm. tries to sort of differentiate between the two is uh, kind of messing with history is because hinduism is the caste system um and what happened after colonialism is that because there was the drive to have a census and the drive to enumerate people um people who already had resources which were the upper caste people sort of rallied with the with the colonizers to sort of uh, control the resources which uh, and directly work for the colonizers and kind of control the entire system in accordance to the caste system and um and that's how it's sort of it's a malleable uh, process of hierarchy uh, 
creating hierarchies between people and in colonialism it just became something which became enumerated which got mm-hmm. its names uh, on on something like on a census where people started being named outside uh, named according to their caste so that's okay. yeah that's how it was uh, uh, kind of it it was brought on paper i feel um, and um, it was formalized it was formalized and mm-hmm. it it but it has always existed especially uh, in how we kind of conceive of families in india and the concept of arranged marriages the concept of matrimony uh, um, being something which you find outside of uh, your own decisions that these are not decisions you make but the community makes is all tied to caste and and especially um, when when we talk about the parallels between caste and race i think it's important to also realize that the idea of supremacy in india is very closely tied to the idea of white supremacy as well because of this whole idea of racial purity ethnic purity of the of the upper caste people trying to find close parallels to the to white supremacists and to the ideology of nazism and that has that has deep roots even before colonialism in terms of how the hindu society is sort of imagined collectively in um, mm. yeah so that yeah so bringing this back then to your your research on toilets so you, yeah. you you've established uh, earlier on that you said that the toilets are a space in which this kind of inequality manifests uh, or is practiced and you've spoke a fair bit about uh, sexuality gender queerness uh, as happening in these spaces or as being represented in these spaces and films could you maybe bring uh, bring that closer what was your actual research question what what were you looking at in your research yeah so for me i was all, i was uh, not interested in toilets per se i sort of came to it because i saw a pattern in the kind of uh, the films i was sort of choosing for uh, studying uh, tr- transgender relations and i stumbled upon space of the toilet because of the relevance it was it took in my research and at the same time i became really aware of how it's a space uh, where the social relations which we are always tied in even outside of the space of the toilet it just becomes much more unsubtle in in the space of the toilet toilet it becomes um, a, and especially a toilet which is accessed publicly in public spaces so uh, the, the kind of so relations which we, which has to do with gender uh, given given um, how a lot of fights about transgender rights uh, kind of get articulated across the the what is like what is known as the bathroom issue and that was one thing which which brought me to the space of the toilet and how cinema actually you, you know instrumentalizes this space as as a way to kind of plot transgender stories around these spaces it's because it becomes very easy to identify uh, these social relations and how people get uncomfortable in the toilet space when these social relations are sort of questioned or are, they are deviated against or they are reinforced so i felt uh, i was really interested in as to why cinema a lot of movies were using uh, the toilet space to sort of reveal the character as being trans you know like what is so revelatory about the the lavatory you know like that's the kind of question i am working with 
and the connection with caste is what i was saying that there is an occupational hierarchy and in india it's um, even if it's deemed illegal there's the the idea of you cleaning up after yourself is not a concept a lot of indians are aware of like um, cleanliness and cleaning spaces and cleaning toilet spaces uh, is always someone else's job and that someone else is always uh, someone below the hierarchy of the of where you belong so it's always and responsibility given to someone else so like um, manual scavenging is a thing which is still a harsh reality in india where uh, there are people who are sort of uh, forced to take up jobs in very dangerous spaces of really unclean unhygienic spaces of uh, the streets and the toilets where their job is to clean clean these places and uh, it is a very caste based kind of thinking which mm-hmm. sort of imagines certain people as always you know already um, kind of responsible for cleaning and others it's as though certain types of bodies belong in certain types of spaces like exactly. it's a given that you will find particular yes. people in in particular, I mean, I've got a, so coming back to race, uh, I'm from South Africa myself, and I realized, you know, how much my world, uh, of course, South Africa's got an incredibly racialized history, and um, I realized how taken for granted, so same as in India, there's definitely a distinct group of people that do cleaning, for example, um, and this is shaped through apartheid, uh, through through gender, yeah, uh, you know that you'd mainly find black women uh, cleaning people's homes. Uh, so, so I definitely understand that you're saying certain types of spaces become, or certain bodies and people become seen as associated with particular spaces, Absolutely. and that, yes. and yeah. that has social ramifications. So, were you finding in your you're looking at representation? You said that there were trans people coming out or making their trans known, and that this often happened in bathrooms. Do you find that in Indian films that um, there is a, a rich representation of trans people in Indian cinema? Uh, I wouldn't like. I wouldn't really say rich representation, but of course it's really booming. Like it's rampant. Like there is there's a lot of. Uh, uh, emerging representation which is happening and i was just discussing it with a friend like there's a there's a trend in india right now where like in the last five years since ott platforms like netflix and amazon prime have become the become just one of the mainstream ways of accessing our, our cinema in in back home as well and also because of cheap internet it's become easier to do that than go to a cinema hall uh is that there are stories which are being told which are gritty which have this very very specific aesthetic to them where there's this you know this righteousness of the director to tell stories which have social issues embedded into mm. them and that has really risen in the past few years and in that transgender representation has almost become something which you expect out of a story which is coming from a perspective of you know like uh, we are going to tell really alternative stories we are indie uh, cinema we are different we we do not do mainstream bollywood we are not just song so and dance we, so uh, so would you consider it still fringe uh, or is it is it very much becoming part of mainstream media yeah it is becoming part of mainstream media to actually because of the platforms of netflix and amazon uh, mm. to to sort of allow for stories 
which uh, uh, you know advocate kind push of boundaries. yeah hmm. they push boundaries but also they sort of because they are constantly comparing themselves in bollywood to the, what is considered bollywood outside to an international audience or even within the um, mainstream indian audience is that we are not we are realistic we are talking about real people and real things and real issues so that kind of drive for realism to come back to indian cinema and to constantly uh, deviate itself from what bollywood has done to women what bollywood has done to queer people we will not do that and now we will we will sort of usher into a, an era of uh, alternate bollywood but at the same time i don't feel like my the kind of work which is happening right now it is still a boys club so um the, the the kind of aesthetic which runs in in these representation is also a very kind of uh, an aesthetic which is erasing the communities it sort of says that it's going to represent so that's where my interest comes in as to what mm. is really happening in these realistic depictions and who is it actually for so those questions really interest me yeah So you are a, an international student and you're currently living in Canada but you're doing research on India and you're thinking about all of these tensions with representation. Have you found, you know, when thinking about trans representation in films and in cinema and on Netflix, have yeah. you found any sort of distinct differences in terms of how western media uh, is presented and consumed versus how Indian media is presented and consumed? yeah uh the most interesting part i think i was already aware of it as someone who is also not from the north of like i've lived all my life in north of india but i am from a south indian family is that uh the idea of bollywood outside or indian cinema actually and i sort of use indian cinema in my research and not bollywood is to constantly tell the fact that india is not just hindi cinema or bollywood it is way much more than that and it is um, there's so much happening back back in the country where there are so many other industries which actually pro- provide for really good movies and uh, different kind of and but what i felt here was that the hegemony of bollywood you know when i have mm. to even kind of talk about cinema in india the first thing which people do ask is about bollywood it's about um, and it's not that it, they they are to blame it's that's the hegemony of the, the language of hindi and at the same time uh, the the industry that bollywood is it sort of eats up the space which other industries actually try to claim in 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 the imagination of you know what is pop culture and what actually people consume back home so well this sounds a lot like hollywood wouldn't it right yeah. um like hollywood is the the mainstay and only like you say rightfully with the arrival of of platforms like netflix has this started to be undermined yeah. right exactly so even uh, uh so while my when i came here i think one of the first things which i became a little aware of is my own sort of implicit bias in choosing in these films and mm. and i was like i am sort of repeating the kind of uh, things which which sort of play into the hegemony of you know bollywood is equal to indian cinema so the one thing which i became aware of is to to sort of not do that in my research as much as possible because if um, because i have the privilege of understanding if not speaking 
other languages in India and I can access movies from that those spaces. So I have tried. So that kind of distance really helped me in trying to find uh, films from other industry, really flourishing industries of the South. And I am choosing one of the films uh, from the Southern film industry, Southern Indian film industry to in my research to also kind of talk about very re- different regional polit- gender politics and caste politics um, through these films. So that's why I think uh, coming here to sort of, it was reflected on my own biases and also made me steer clear from the, you know, uh, kind of generalizing aspects of film research in India. Yeah. Well, so so this is, um, you know, as, as you know, the one of the things we look at in this podcast is we try and reflect a bit on some of the opportunities and challenges that come with doing research outside of your home country or doing research in a place that is, you know, far away from the place you are. Uh, and there's a lot of geography actually happening in what you're saying. So you've brought up where you are from versus where the film media is, and you're all the way over in Canada. But yeah. that in some way, this was actually uh, a positive, uh, having that kind of distance provided you with uh, space for reflection. Yeah, I mean, it, it also, it's like a double-edged sword. Like, even if it, it did provide me with a bit of an objective distance, sometimes it just feels... Uh, like there, there's a lot of talk about objectivity in academia, uh, which at the expense of some kind of subjective experiences, community belonging, and you know to be in touch with this place you're talking about. And mm-hmm. so I feel even if that kind of distance is really helpful in in and especially as someone who's privileged back home and has uh, access and mobility, which uh, I which makes it easier for me to live in India. Uh, I feel when I came here, I could I could reflect on those things in, in a much um, clearer fashion. But at the same time, mm. uh, the very that the very privilege of that mobility is also it, it sort of pushes you in spaces of feeling like an imposter sometimes. I think that's something which I struggle with is that why I'm I'm talking about these things, but I'm not there. And with whatever is happening in India right now, with the crackdown on dissent, with with kind of the fascist uh, government, which is um, just like uh, breaking into spaces which I have been in my university space or in in my hometown, I just feel like I am, even if being here gives me an opportunity to sort of reflect on these things without being affected by them uh, directly, it's 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 at the same time it just makes you feel like you want to be in that moment uh, in the country where when it's going through so much mm-hmm. and to, to be there for the, the community activists uh, who are basically bearing the brunt of all that I am here sitting critiquing so I feel um, sometimes I feel like it's 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 a privilege which has to be used very cautiously uh, and and import like and in a way which is actually useful in the future so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean I, I I wasn't meaning to imply objectivity I think when I when I spoke earlier uh, just like you said uh, clarity there's yeah, there's sometimes yeah. things that I would complain about in South Africa uh, yeah. and then you go somewhere else and you think hey actually it's not so bad or yeah. uh, you know it just kind of would bring South Africa into a different kind of focus that in being in a different space I looked at that space differently 
But when you bring up the idea of imposter syndrome, um, feeling like an imposter, maybe those are two different things. Uh, I don't know. Because imposter syndrome, I know that a lot of graduate students often struggle with this idea of, you know, you're expected to feel like an expert, but you don't feel like an expert, right? You think, oh, I don't know anything about anything. And people are looking at me as though I should. Um, so I know that a lot of grad students struggle with that. But it seems like you're speaking about something different here. The idea that you are perhaps, I don't know, expected to be representative of or yes. speak on behalf of yeah. uh, others, but then you're not really in that space. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, I I mean, that imposter syndrome as a graduate student, uh, I think it's connected in the fact that you, and especially as someone in my department who's, apart from two students, I think I'm the only South Asian who's working on a topic which is about South Asia. Um, You sort of become that one token person in the classroom who who is expected to know everything. uh, and, and, And this, again, with the idea of South Asia, there's, there's the hegemony of India equals to South Asia, which is not true, which is there's Pakistan, there's Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. But when you enter as a brown person in, in the classroom from South Asia, you are expected to know about every country and, and everything which is happening there and have and also then and and the the related part of me feeling like an imposter is that because I come from um, uh, from the community that I come from, which is which is uh, like I do not like to claim the the space of a person of color uh, in even here is because I still feel that my access to this space comes from the privilege back home. Like I can, uh, I the fact that I can come here is in in itself a marker of my mobility. So mm-hmm. uh, when when I so that kind of an you know double space which i am in where i am seen as a person of color here uh, but i don't see myself as someone uh, who's marginalized in um, ways in which uh, a black person or a black uh, or a latin a latin student is in 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 north america so uh, or even so you become aware of so sometimes you feel as though you are treated that there's almost a, a sentiment towards you as a, I don't know, as a victim maybe, but you don't perceive yourself, victim's not the right word, uh, as a as a marginalized person, but you don't perceive yourself as a marginalized person. Yeah, um, I mean, you- especially, like, uh, there, there's, there are definitions to marginality, and I think the one which is ascribed to a lot of brown people and people, a lot of people of color sort of use that from India, sort of use that term to sort of, you know, ally with black struggles or ally with indigenous struggles here and allyship is different but at the same time conflating the struggles with for example a muslim student here from india versus me uh, i i still feel both of us are marginalized in ways that we are international students so obviously we are not getting a lot of um, uh, you know perks of being a canadian or perks of being a permanent resident mm-hmm. so that is a different conversation to have but in terms of you know uh, the knowledge production knowledge systems and to even access a space like an international university I sort of feel like the only way I can practice my politics uh, in terms of being true to my positionality is to be very aware that I, even within the people of color, kind of a, a big umbrella, I am sort of 
in in a space which, which is of a little bit of more comfort and privilege than others mm-hmm. um and that's when when i talk about my research i am very aware and sometimes hyper aware of the fact that people will constantly see me as a representative of the place i'm talking about but i have to say that i am uh, i i am taking up a position which is of critique but at the same time it's i am not claiming marginal uh, space within my research i am actually doing the very opposite i am critiquing a system which benefits me uh, and people like me home and back home so yeah. i i wonder does that not pose as someone who is doing research outside of your own country and yeah. facing a lot of people who know very little about india know very little about the caste system or about you know the politics therein or even how to uh, you know a lot of this is based on somehow knowing how to identify difference right um yeah so do you do you see uh, or have you experienced tensions with i guess a lack of sensitivity where maybe people have collapsed you know you you mentioned uh, muslim students coming from india and yeah. yourself coming from india and that maybe your experiences of india get conflated that people don't really get the the differences of what your experiences might be yeah uh i mean in a way like it's the problem of translating a context from there to here uh, i i felt it it is it has been both good and uh, i won't say bad but it has been draining challenging it's challenging yes challenging <laughs> in many ways yeah <laughs> uh i feel it it's been good in the sense that uh, i have always found new ways of articulating and uh, for example Uh, to see the parallels between caste and race even though there was like kind of an implicit knowledge that i had when i came here it became much more explicit to me and i sort of worked towards articulating that so that when i start a conversation with a person here who might know a lot about race uh, will know, and nothing about caste i think that gives me a good way to sort of start a conversation about race and caste together and especially now mm-hmm. with black lives matter i think when a lot of indians start supporting black lives matter without kind of critiquing caste back home it becomes it has become i have felt like that kind of uh, you know trying to tell people here who see indians as really natural allies as people of color to black people it's i have felt in like it's my responsibility to intervene into that space and sort of tell mm. people that that might not be true um, and uh, and especially pointing out to a lot of fascist forces back home and being very aware of that here i've it, it's become more of a responsibility than than uh, that as as someone in that room i want to be uh, not lending voice to that kind of a generalization that oh i'm a person of color i also suffer this and that so um i think that has been helpful uh, but at the same time it's challenging in the sense in when it comes to just my research and uh, to talk about it i have to start from scratch to sort of discuss some concepts which have no uh, like there there's an audience which has to be even told about those concepts first and then i come to my research so i think that has been a challenge in terms of academic mm-hmm. work like when i work for like write for journals write for um, our conferences or something i have to keep a space where i have to like sort of enter into really deep definitions of things which i don't have to define back home so that's something right. yeah yeah 
which you had to do here too, right? Like we, we, we straight up started and you were halfway through an explanation and I was like, wait, do you have to explain what cast is first? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I mean yeah. that's, it's a fruitful it's exercise a point. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very relevant to, it, it really helps me also take stock of the things I keep talking about and take for granted. And mm-hmm. when you talk, you feel like, oh, of, I don't think I know about this part of the, what I said much so you go back and you sort of so it's it it sort of helps you unlearn a lot of things you think you already know but right. at the same time it is also very like uh oh, wish you knew about this i mean it, it's that that kind of thing like you know and it's it's also like a, a very painful thing for a lot of people who do come from the marginalized community like the uh the for example when i said a muslim student from india like if they see if they have to explain that islamophobia exists in india it 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 is much tougher for them uh, to do to do go into that process i think it's mm-hmm. easier for me to talk about islamophobia to talk about uh, a caste system uh, in a in a very critical and at the same time a very a fashion which in which i can do that labor and i think uh, without being uh, emotionally drained by it even if it's draining in the sense that i have to keep repeating it but it's not emotionally draining in the sense that i haven't experienced i have been i haven't been at the uh, you know receiving end of the things which i talk about so yeah so you you've brought up now i think two of the challenges that you found about doing international research and also i mean you mentioned i think you've mentioned a couple as as being an international student sometimes getting access to funding uh, can be hard but then you mentioned two challenges about uh, doing international research uh, you know the distance from the place that you sometimes feel like an imposter but also challenges of translating uh, context uh, but Let's maybe turn now to some of the opportunities because you've hinted at those too. You you spoke a bit about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and that you are troubling that you are troubling uh, some of the you know the collapsing of maybe uh, Indian students. Uh, I'm saying wrong, not Indian students, but the the collapsing that all color is necessarily the same in all contexts, right? Yes. Um, but you spoke then about possibilities as well, uh, possibilities that to create solidarity yeah so how do you think there and i think that this is really pertinent to now the moment in history where we are right now where there are protests happening uh everywhere where people are having these conversations where do you think uh there is space for solidarity uh i think the first thing which as an Indian student, like even that kind of critical intervention, which I was talking about is sort of forming solidarities with, um, uh, for example, I feel as, as someone, people who, who identify with my positionality back home and are here, I think the way they can form solidarities with the Black Lives Matter movement is to speak also about um, the caste system back home and to sort of raise voices against the police brutality back in India and stifling of mm-hmm. dissent and to sort of international solidarity in the sense of to see the common systems of oppression all of us are in and and all of us are we can clearly identify that there there are things which are which is uh, common to every it's it's just there has no borders you know now, now capitalism has um a, a capitalism and racism and casteism all of these are so intermingled like so i think when you kind of see the intimacy of oppression uh across countries you 
you your solidarity comes in the fi- in in ways in more than one ways of standing with indigenous rights and you know speaking learning about that as a south asian person uh, of color mm-hmm. and um, to to uh, and as as someone who is an academic worker i think uh, what i have found here is that within within the academic space we have different students from different countries and to just having space uh, holding space for them when they need it and um is is goes a long way so i think uh in in that sense i feel that's where i felt like university resources uh, have to be expanded for uh, students coming from the most marginalized communities from different uh, countries and uh, i feel there has to be more conversation about how we define uh, what what is like the this whole idea of black indigenous people of color that kind of term which is used in 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 the north american context uh, i feel it 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 is good in the sense that it brings this sense of solidarity of allyship together but at the same time we have to be very aware of the fact that these struggles are different even if they are fighting very similar systems mm-hmm. of oppression so i think to sort of critically intervene in that space is really important to be very aware of your the the, the limits of uh, claiming uh, you know the same space as uh, uh, black lives matter and or pe- people struggling with anti black racism so yeah yeah so to to be aware of the 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 context i guess of these different struggles that they are not one and the same but they are certainly connected and related and uh, and yeah. i think to be able to tell these distinct histories and stories um while seeing the connections between them and not collapsing them into one another i think that's really yeah. for example right now I, i just felt like because you you also come from south africa and um, and gandhi is something which brings mm-hmm. together south africa and india in many conversations i think recently because of the statues being uh, uh, thrown out in many countries uh, of slave traders and columbus and etc someone was t- saying that even the gandhi statue should uh, should be removed from uh, african countries because gandhi was a mm-hmm. racist and when i said that uh, some people were like uh, they did not know that gandhi could be talked about in a way which is not nice about which is which is not yeah. all nice and good things about him so uh, yeah, it's I- <laughs> when when you- you learn that because i think there are some names that you are maybe taught as a as a child growing up that are beyond reproach right where yeah, where yeah. they become iconic figures mm-hmm. um and you don't want to mess with people's iconic figures and then you realize that in different spaces these icons have different meaning right exactly and that is what is happening right now we are we are revisiting our heroes and we are revisiting our icons and we we are seeing the histories behind them and sort of dismantling and trying to rewrite them and i think that's when and a lot of uh, marginalized communities in india do not really look up to gandhi in the way the international image of gandhi is made so i think that's that's an example of kind of the critical intervention as to um, to not really be romantic have a romantic idea of your country uh, and to romanticize uh, home when you're here because i think a lot of people do that when they are away, away from their home and they miss home and it's it's like oh everything was better back home and it's 
it's so bad here like that it's 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 as if the whole idea of glorifying your country you know and a lot of mm-hmm. diaspora also does that so um it, that's when 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 people are surprised by nri support trump or nri support uh, nri means non residential indians um that's when you intervene and you say that it's not really surprising to me because this is what happens back home and that's what's translating mm-hmm. here so yeah yeah so there's there's power in also being you know i think this is one of the real values of being an international student or having been someone that's lived in in several places is you you start to see these overlaps and you start to be able to contribute and raise these questions in in yeah. pretty uh, interesting ways mm. yeah it's really so while um you know you've spoken a lot about your research and whenever someone is on I kind of try to get a sense of where they are in their research process uh you have completed is that correct uh i have completed my dissertation proposal defense so i am going to uh, start writing the thesis any sometime soon okay yeah okay i had it in my mind that you were like done and dusted oh, and i was no, like that's no. amazing <laughs> 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 oh, I was like, I'm, in- <laughs> no, I'm in my oh. second year and I'm I have finished my dissertation defense just last week so I'm ABD right now so yeah Well, congratulations on on finishing that. Uh, I know so, that, so you're about halfway through, which is really exciting. Uh, and I think it's yeah, it's going to be the really real cool. <laughs> Sorry? The real work starts now. I mean, Yeah, the, the real work I I ran into a bit of a so I finished I got my comps in March I finished my comps and my proposal defense and I was all like yeah now I'm going to sit and really work and I shouldn't be saying this live on air but then I found that um live we're not live but anyway you know what I mean um but I I found I had a bit of a slump immediately afterwards that I just needed a moment to breathe before getting into the real work oh, sure. yeah. uh, I'm um, the, the pandemic is really helping me do that without me wanting to. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. will will you be going to Oops, sorry about that. My dog has just made his way into the room. Oh, hi. Um, he doesn't Linus. No. You were just speaking about the pandemic and the things pandemics change. I don't have control over yeah. over him. <laughs> um <laughs> So will you be going to cuz obviously with covid-19 in mind were you planning on going to india to do your research there uh no i was just like visiting uh wanting to visit home and because my research really does not need me to i, I it's not field work it's most media based and archive mm. I, archiving like want to access archives which are mostly available online a lot of media digital archives but uh, it was it was just that uh, summer during india is a very like it's all it's the pride month comes at this time and there's a lot of community um, events which happen during summers and generally going wanting to go back home and finding a place of i, I do better writing when i'm in my home so I, mm. i all of that was sort of uh like uh, taken away by the pandemic so right now i'm just figuring out uh how how to make like, i always assume that summers will be home so right right now i have to just find a way of find my own groove in kingston 
uh, to work especially because i don't have access to library or office space right now so yeah 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 well i wish you the best of luck as you as you continue with your phd and getting all these ideas onto onto paper um i'm sure you will do wonderfully um but as we close up we're nearing the end now you chose a song for to to sing us out so to take us out can you tell me what the the song is uh, it is actually it's it's a song uh, which reminds me which sort of pushed me to actually talk about toilets it's a song from a film called toilet which became very famous <laughs> in india yeah it, it's it's a song called, from and the movie is called toilet a love story that's the translation of the of the hindi name and it is a, it's about this actor who's trying to tell women and other uh, other people to to use toilets so as to save their dignity to save the and and as as something which which to, uh, building toilets is equal to gender empowerment which has been a state policy as well uh, where um, the state sort of tells uh, there there are policies where uh, which where people have been told that you cannot have a bride in your home if you do not have a toilet so that mm. kind of an idea which is so uh in in such a routine language and in a very bollywoodesque fashion in through dance and song and sort of making it a very everyday thing but if you listen to the song uh, and or even the translation of it you can feel you can read the hierarchies which is re, it, it's reinforcing like uh, men men can go uh, men have claim to a public space but women have to go inside a small space and you know to save themselves from violence so that and 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 the whole idea of who is it being talked who is this person who is being talked about is a very caste based idea is like a, it's a very hindu so- family and a hindu idea of you know cleanliness and purity so i think mm. why i chose this song is that if you listen to the song it's a very happy song and we like well, what's the problem with it but that's that's what bollywood or a lot of hindi film does is that it gives you a lot of problems in a very routine and everyday fashion that it's almost scary that you're singing or humming into something which is really problematic so mm. um, i feel that that's why i chose it because that's the kind of research i'm doing i'm seeing how do we sort of take up something which so for granted and as as an everyday uh, thing but but it's actually rooted in really problematic uh, and racialized and caste based histories and gendered um violence so that's why i chose the song because it sort of brings together my the questions i'm interested in in my research yeah and you said it's called toilet yeah <laughs> who's who's the uh, who's the artist uh the singer is actually the actor uh the actor's name is akshay kumar and he is actually very famous he used to be famous for his comic and action movies but now he's famous for doing these really self righteous indian man who is going to save the world and sort of <laughs> um a kind of metaphor for the indian government itself like he actually acts in many movies which sort of valorize a lot of state policy so like even this uh movie was about the clean india campaign for which uh, narendra modi was recognized by the gates uh, bill gates foundation as well which as to, to this whole Uh, championing uh, creating toilets in india uh, and to remove the problem of um, 
like the dirt and uh, which is associated with public spaces in india um and it's funny because they don't even talk about caste which actually perpetuates it so this is how this and this movie became so famous that it sort of inspired a lot of chinese um uh, artists to sort of make a uh, sorry japanese and chinese artists to make parodies of this movie and um japanese toilet construction uh, people came to india after watching this movie to make documentaries about toilets in india so it's it was a very it was it it's, it was a moment in india where people were realizing they were being fed state propaganda through bollywood and um i think that's why the it becomes interesting in terms of seeing who is also cast in these movies like you see an akshay kumar film you know it's going to be propaganda so mm. it's um, yeah it's it that's why it was very interesting to me yeah and if uh, folks want to learn more about you and your work you do is there a way they can find information about you or reach out to you yeah i have a twitter which go i just go by my full name uh, prerna subramanian and i i and that that's the handle it's prerna and uh, it's p r a y e r n triple a h and my twitter is always open i'm very active on twitter so yeah and i write a lot about my research i comment on a lot of things which are happening in india right now um, so yeah that's a good place to reach out to me yes Fantastic. Well, I hope everyone while they're tapping their feet to the song are also considering all of its tensions that you've raised. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really a pleasure to chat with you. I know you're feeling a bit ill, but you are an absolute rock star. Uh-huh. So, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me and this was great. I really had a I think I feel a bit better in terms of my mood after <laughs> having this conversation. <laughs> feel a little reassured that I'm doing my research well. <laughs> well, well Dr. Claudia says you're welcome. Um, hopefully one day I'll actually be a doctor, but never a medical one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Bye.
संडास चाहिए If you are a graduate student at Queen's University and would like to speak to me about the international research you're doing or an international collaboration that you're involved in, feel free to drop me an email at international at sgps.ca. A big thank you to today's guest, as well as to all of the staff here at CFRC, with a special thanks to the station manager, Diana Janssen. The bed music for this podcast is Mafikizolo featuring Uhuru singing Kona. This has been Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. <laughs>